Hi. So, um, so the uh, luminosity that starts to happen on retreat in the simplicity, which happened even though there were things that I didn't like about the retreat, starts to reveal other components of who and what we are and of what's here. And so partly we start to discover the, uh, the depth of our intelligence and our creativity and our heartfulness and our kindness and our love. It's just, it's already here. It's not something we have to create or make up. And, um, and I'm saying this also in association with, last night I saw a movie that I highly recommend called Itzhak, about Itzhak Perlman, who's a violinist. Um, he, he's something. I was impressed, and I was a musician for many years. So I thought, and I was looking, I wanted to go to a movie. I've been back from the retreat a week. I thought, okay, go see a movie, and what could I go see? And I thought about going seeing, oh, let's see if I can remember the name of it. Shoot, I can't remember the name. Yeah, I'll tell you what it's about. It's about three teenage girls who want to lose their virginity on prom night. What's blockers. it? Blockers. Blockers, yeah, thank you. Somebody's seen it. Um, <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, I'll go see Blockers. It'll be the kind of comedy I would never see. I'll be outside the box. But then I saw there were a couple documentaries that interest me, and I like documentaries. So I went to see Itzhak. And it's about Itzhak Perlman. And what I didn't realize, I knew he was a fantastic violinist, classical violinist. Uh, what I didn't realize is he had polio. Mm -hmm. And so he uh, gets around, uh, he's got braces on both legs, and, and he has to have crutches on both arms to get around in that way, which he doesn't do a lot of. He can do some of it, but it's hard. And he has a little cart that he gets him around New York, and that he even comes out on stage with his cart then somebody brings him the violin, and, and he performs sitting down, right? And so it was fascinating to learn more about him. And here's some of the things I learned. He became interested in the violin, hearing classical music on the radio when he was three, right? So he heard some music, and he wanted to play. And, uh, but he was denied admission to the conservatory that he wanted to go to because he was too small to hold the violin, right? And so he taught himself to play the instrument using a toy fiddle until he was big enough to go to the conservatory and then and, and study. And then he, by the age 10, he gave his first recital, right? And they show some film of him when he's young. And it's like, this guy's amazing. I mean, really, he's a gifted, gifted guy, right? And he, uh, he contacted the polio, contracted, excuse me, the polio at age four. And, um, and so he, all of this is happening, all of his real development as a musician is after having polio. 
right? Not before. And, um, and he's so joyful. It's totally amazing, right? Because he's got a lot of dukkha. And as I said this morning to this group, I don't know, I assume all of you have some dukkha, right? You, you know what dukkha is? Dukkha is the Pali word that's mostly translated as suffering or disease or discontent, right? And I assume if you're coming to a Buddhist group, you have some dukkha, right? It's just part of the deal in Buddhism. And it's not a bad thing, it's not a wrong thing, it's not you shouldn't have any dukkha, it's part of being human. And then Buddhism teaches a lot about how to work with dukkha in order to be free from dukkha. Not to get rid of dukkha, but to be free from it. And so, uh, and so to see him, who's clearly, he had a lot of dukkha in his life, um, and, and there's all kinds of um, historical dukkha of his parents surviving, um, being in Poland uh, when the Holocaust happened and leaving and surviving and things like that. So he's, you know, he knows a lot about dukkha, but his joy is so fantastic and his enjoyment of people and uh, love of life is just, it's worth seeing, it's, especially if you want an uplifting experience given a lot of people seem kind of down about the state of politics these days, right? That's very common uh, given how uh, unenlightened our, our political world is, right? How really unawake the political world is. And, and I bring this all up because I also was a musician for many years and I appreciate the um, synchronicity between Dharma and the arts. Because for me they're very close. Practice is very much an art. It's the art of waking up and the art of or learning the kind of skills one needs so one can give oneself totally to practice, which is what a, a musician or an artist does. And uh, so this is from Stephen Batchelor, who says, the artist's dilemma and the meditator's dilemma are in a deep sense equivalent. Both are repeatedly willing to confront an unknown and to risk a response that they cannot predict or control. The artist's dilemma and the meditators are in a deep sense equivalent. Both are repeatedly willing to confront an unknown and to risk a response that they cannot predict or control. Every time we sit down, we don't know what's gonna happen. And we're not trying to make it happen. We're trying to get here in a real way and, and let the Dharma wake us up. He goes on to say, talking about the artist and the meditator, both are disciplined in skills that allow them to remain focused on their task and to express their response in a way that will illuminate the dilemma they share with others. So it's really, and you see it, if you see a great work of art, 
and you know, or even some of the art here, it's, oh, you see the difficulty, like here, these are all, I forget what these are called? Quilts. Pardon? Quilts. Quilts, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, these are quilts, like, I don't know how the hell to make a quilt. And okay, I could figure it out, but really I don't, and then to see somebody, to see reality come through somebody and come out this way, that's magic, in my words. And so, and so the artist task, or um, uh, w one of the people who, who led GBF today, um, he's, I know him from many, many years ago. He's, he was a dancer and a dancer with Margaret Jenkins' company. And I had a girlfriend in Margaret Jenkins' company when he was there, so I you know, knew him a little bit back then. And, and, um, but, but it's the same, you see a great dancer and they look like they're free, they're just, they're, it's all with ease. And of course, none of it is with ease. They've worked for years and years in order to learn how to let go and give themselves so the dance does them. <clears throat> and so Stephen Batchelor, he goes on, he says, great art and great dharma both give rise to something that has never quite been imagined before. Great art and great dharma both give rise to something that has never quite been imagined before. Artists and meditator alike ultimately aspire to an original act. And that's, that's good dharma, what he's saying there. By original act, it means this moment is brand new and knowing it experientially, not just as an idea. That the reality is alive right now, this reality, and it's totally, in my language, magical. And so one of the ways this is talked about in Buddhism is, um, is when waking up beyond one's usual identity, as I said before, and to start to see what is one's, start to realize one's Buddha nature because it's inherent in human beings, that potential to wake up to one's Buddha nature, to the depth or breadth of who and what we are. And I believe we all have some intuition of it. Even if we never think in that kind of language or way, there's some intuition that human beings have that there's something more, something possible for us as human beings. And, and, and we want it, and that's a good want. That's a good desire, that's a good yearning. And so this is from uh, one of my teachers, Saida Utejaniya, excuse me. And he's there, he was talking with a student, and the student said, a teacher from the Chinese Chan tradition, Chan is, is Zen in uh, China, a teacher from the Chinese Chan tradition talks about relaxing into nature as one's true nature. What is your understanding of seeing into self-nature? Right. 
And so relaxing into one's nature and to discover one's true nature. And Utejaniya said something very interesting, very helpful. He said, the way I understand it is that we have made something that is actually, that actually is nature into a self. The way I understand it is that we have made something that actually is nature into a self. If we understand that we are making nature into a self, that we are creating a concept, the concept being self or Eugene is a concept, right? Then what you said would make sense. Also, if we understand nature, we understand ourselves. And so he's pointing at something about the depth and breadth of who and what we are, our nature. And of course, even if we speak very conventionally, right, we are nature, right? Everybody get that? Like when we go out in nature and we like being in nature, we forget that we are nature. We're just another expression of you know, like the birds or the elephants or the trees or the sky, we're, we're also nature. And so starting to rest into our nature or the nature of what it is to be a human being and to wake up by really looking carefully, getting more intimate with our own nature. Here, and I'll continue with Utejaniya. He says, it's very important to know why you were, he says, watching. I'm, I'm gonna use being mindful. It's very important to know why you were being mindful. If you were being mindful because you were really interested in, what, in understanding what is going on, wisdom can arise. If you were, if you were watching or being mindful because you were really interested in understanding what is going on, wisdom can arise. But if you are just looking at what is happening with the hope that it will make the unpleasant the sensation or emotion go away, it will not work. That's not what it's about. It's about understanding who and what we are, about understanding reality, about understanding our uniqueness and our interconnectedness and really understanding not just intellectually but experientially emotionally essentially he goes on to say when the mind feels the joy in understanding it will be motivated to look deeper and there's a certain kind of pleasure when we, we understand, when we get it. And often, in, especially in meditation practice, it's not even so linearly, lin, linearly, 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 I can't quite say. Pardon? Linearly. 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 close enough. Meaning it's not just step by step, it's like, oh, you just, it's an aha, I get it. Aha, understanding. Like, oh, yes. And so, 
he said, when the mind feels joy and understanding, it will be motivated to look deeper, to keep looking and to see the potential of what we might discover about who and what we are. So we have a few minutes for, that's all I have to say for now. Uh, we have a few minutes for any questions, comments about anything I've said, about retreat, about understanding. Please, come on up to the mic and Yeah, I'm just adjusted to yourself. Yeah, thank you. A little taller than the rest. <laughs> My name is Anton, and it's great to see you again. Thank you. The talk was great. I enjoyed it a lot. Great. So, my comment was about the last thing that you just talked about. With mindfulness comes wisdom. But also, I realized that in order to get to that wisdom, many times we have to reflect on what we, what we are experiencing or whatever we observe. And that takes us away from the moment. And we're not? No. Can we do both? Can we just observe and then reflect and you, be mindful? We, How is that? You can do all of that. It's a good question you're asking. So when I'm on retreat, I'm not trying to reflect, right? I'm trying to actually stay very present, very aware, very awake to what's happening. And the, the reflection happens on its own. The knowing happens on its own like that. And it can be ch 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 And I'm still, I'm, you know, I'm still with my body, actually being mindful of my body, my breathing, ch 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 happens. And it's being known. I'm not doing it. Sometimes I may pause, even on retreat, I may pause, okay, what's needed now? What would be skillful now? I ask a few questions. Or, or am I having a reaction to something? What's actually going on here? And I ask those questions to myself, but that's pretty rare. Mm -hmm. Mostly I'm just with whatever is here and it's being known, right? And so, and reflection is really an important part of practice and you can't do reflection unless you're here reflecting. So you can be aware, you can be mindful of reflecting when you're reflecting. Mindfulness doesn't mean no thought, okay? In other words, you can even use, utilize your thinking process and be mindful of it. On retreat, that's not what I'm wanting to do so much, but I do that all, we do that all the time. And I watch what happens in my body, heart, mind when I'm reflecting about what just happened where the car pulled in front of me on the freeway and I'm pissed off, right? And I watch my body get, mm. you know, it's all, and so I'm aware of it. And sometimes I'm like, I'm gonna kill that guy, you know? <laughs> you know, he doesn't know, right? And, I, and then I see, oh, I'm angry. And then I wanna be aware of the energy that's there because there's a lot of energy just came. And so instead of just being bound to any of it, I want to be aware of it even when I reflect and then see what comes with the reflection. Right. So it's compatible, both being present totally. and 
Yes. Getting more smarter or whatever. Getting smarter, hopefully a little wiser, <laughs> but but it is, yeah, no, sometimes it is. It's smarter. We learn we learn. I mean that's why I like Utejania so much because he's uh, he always you know, I could bring in twenty quotes where he keeps saying he, he says, keep learning, keep learning. We're discovering things. Let's see what else happened, right? Okay, Thank you. great, thanks. Please. Welcome back. Thank you, a little put closer to your mouth. So you're comfortable, put it in closer to your okay. mouth. Don't, no, no, Lower. pull it down. Lower. Put it Lower. Down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you okay. go. Okay. Welcome back. Thank you. Back, uh, my name is Francisco. Yeah. And the question I have for you is: Are you going to continue teaching the Novo Eifel path? Oh, am I supposed to? Let me think. If you <laughs> we talked about we that. We talked about it, but you never started. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it's okay. That's good for me to hear because the board and I were reflecting, okay, what's the next series to do? And uh, I don't know yet, so I don't want to say yes or no, but I'm really going to take that into consideration. Why, why do you ask? Why? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I like that. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's good for me to hear. That's what I wanted to know. So, okay, so the Noble Eightfold Path is one possibility then. Okay. Okay, great. And I just want to say one more comment. Sure. Uh, some Buddhist teachers say that Dukkha is Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, put, you put Dukkha like up. Uh, the way you put it is like that. Suffering. It's too much. We cannot take it. No, well, I don't know about not take it, but it's suffering is the basic translation. Yeah, but I, I like it better when they said, okay, dukkha is actually nirvana. Uh -huh. <laughs> why, why do you like that? Because it, uh, we have, without dukkha, no nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, then I can relate to Samsara, that. Samsara, yeah. nirvana, right? Yeah, Samsara, yeah. nirvana. Yeah, you, in other words, you, no, you no, don't get... You don't get one without the other. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No nirvana, no, no samsara, no nirvana. Yeah, that's right. okay. And that's true. Yeah. Yeah, so I can go with that. Okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a very Zen way to talk about it, actually. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. It's, uh, uh, what is there's the four uh, uh, noble truths are that there's dukkha, and there's cause of dukkha, and there's the end of the dukkha, and they're all connected. And so you don't get the end of dukkha without dukkha. What else? Questions? Thoughts, reactions, liking, not liking.
my name is Karen, and this is, I guess, mostly a comment, but I'm going to turn it into a question. I appreciated what you said about um, being in retreat and there being parts of the retreat that you didn't like. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because uh, when I've been on retreat, I think when I first started going on retreat, well, I was scared, but <clears throat> I also had this idea that it would be all great and 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 sometimes it was and then there have been other times when it wasn't and when that happens at first it almost feels like I don't know if it's a the, the word betrayal comes to mind for some reason but um, like I've done something wrong like there's something wrong with me for having that feeling yeah yeah um, and yeah. I've come to understand that it that's not true but that feeling still comes up at first. Right. So it's good to see it as a feeling mm -hmm. and not believe it. Yeah. Because there's a certain projection we have about onto retreats that it's going to be great and oh, now I'm going to be free and now it's going to be a good time. And that's not what a retreat is. A retreat's about waking up. And even we have that projection on waking up, it's going to make everything perfect and no more problems. And, and, that's, and one, of the, one of the beautiful things about actually reading some of the old Buddhist texts is to see the, and to hear or uh, read about the difficult experiences that Buddha has after he's completely and totally awakened. Right, he has problems with people. He, he thinks he's going to help somebody, and he can't help them at all, or they do totally the opposite of what he says to do. And there's a one famous one, uh, the quarrel at Kosambi, where these two monks start to have a, a disagreement, and they get other monks on their side, so they start to divide the sangha, and he's. And it, this is all, uh, he's trying to make it all, everybody relax or happy or, you know, at least kind to each other. He can't do it. And finally he says, I'm going to go off into the forest with the animals. They're much easier to relate to, you know, than human beings. So, so there's, and so even for the Buddha, it doesn't mean, oh, everything was perfect. It, and not at all. And so uh, for each of us to see that, can be very freeing because then we don't have to relate to life as if it's all supposed to be perfect. And it's the one thing, I've been meaning to say this to you, but I'm going to say it now because the one thing I would change in the way that you like to lead the refuges about perfect enlightenment, I wouldn't use that line. I don't, I don't believe in perfect. Really. And, I, and, and we have so much projection on we should be perfect people in some way, shape, or form that, as far as I can tell, is not even possible. And so, and so that all gets projected on our spirituality, right, and on going on retreats. So it's, I appreciate you saying that about retreats. So I've done retreats long enough as I don't know what the hell's going to happen, but I know it's not going to be perfect. Right, I know there'll be problems. Some, you know, even if it was perfect, I would be the problem, right? Because <laughs> I'm human, and and uh, yeah. So, 
Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and so that's a really important piece when you do go on yeah. retreat to really pay attention to and really block that nonsense because it's not true. Okay. Thank you. Sure. What would you like other than perfect? Uh, I can't remember what's the whole line. You say two things right there. For the potential of full and perfect awakening. Oh, uh, full and complete awakening. Something just not perfect because there's so much egoic projection on perfect and nobody is perfect. And even the Buddha, yeah, so that, yeah. Or you might, yeah, complete. Or you might look and see what have other traditions used, right? And that's, because, yeah, I'm just looking at the refuge chant that we have. We, we just do, in the Theravada, in my Theravada, we, we just do the basic, you know, Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samasambuddhasa, which is paying homage to the Buddha, right? And then, and then the Buddhang Saranam Gachami is uh, uh, I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Sangha, I take refuge in Dharma, and then it's just three times, you know, a second time, a third time. And so there's not that add on in when I grew up in the Dharma. And I'm open to a little bit of an add-on, that's okay. But just the perfect, that's the one word I would, I, I'm like, mm, that, that's how I feel. So I'm just telling you. But you can do what you want also. I mean, <laughs> no, I think that's a good point. Okay, okay. Yeah, I've been meaning to say something I always forget. Anything else, please? about this self-retreat part that you considered doing uh, instead of listening to yeah. what you didn't like. Yeah. I know you're still recording, anyways. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, so at, at what stage do you decide to do that in your practice? Uh, I mean, if it's not born on, out of annoyance, but rather, well, I don't want to be sitting with a teacher. Yeah. Uh, is it that you don't need more guidance or...? or? Um. Well, here's, here, let me just give you the framework of Forest Refuge. There are two teachers there, uh, and you meet with the teacher once or twice a week, or they, or they give talks once or twice a week. But otherwise, you're on your own. There's no formal bell ringing every 45 minutes or anything like that. And I've done a lot of those retreats, and at a certain, if you've done uh, enough silent meditation retreat that you feel comfortable, you could, you could guide your own retreat. You, you fill out an application and send it to them and they accept you or don't accept you. And generally they accept people, except if there is a problem. I, I don't know all the technique for applying, but, but um, and I, I haven't, done a long retreat there in quite a while uh, since my bike accident uh, but I got inspired oh it's time to go back I'd like to go sit for a month and 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 just do nothing but meditation retreat at Forest Refuge because it's a beautiful place 
and it's it's a beautiful place to practice and it's quiet and you know and I don't care who's teaching I don't have to relate to the teacher or if I need some help I could relate to any of the teachers and so but and then you just do your own schedule or you do a non-schedule right you just sit and walk and sit and walk and eat that's it that's the whole your whole time and it's powerful and you know I used to do a month a year uh, for many years and it was great so yeah I would encourage you if you feel interested in that and want to see what happens contact the forest refuge any, any other question about it um, no I'm just wondering then what the role of the teacher is so the teacher the teachers there um, to support your practice um, and again to give a little bit of guidance like give a Dharma talk no more than twice a week meaning of the two teachers each gives one talk a week I think that's how it works um, at least when I used to go and I never used to go to their talks, so I don't even know um, uh, sometimes I, when I was working individually with a teacher I would phone call my teacher every number of days and then do my practice for a number of days and then call my teacher again and uh, that worked fine for me it was very very supportive and uh, yeah and then you know things start to happen and so if you if you need some support teachers are there you can see them and that's also good yeah, thank you great Please tell us what happens. <laughs> okay. So last one, quickly. Hi. Hi. Um, I was wondering if there is any teaching around you were talking about moments disappearing or moments coming and going. Yeah. Each one is unique, and I was wondering if there's any teaching around continuity, because um, I feel like as a human being, I I don't know if it feels like everything's moving faster now, but sometimes I just sort of feel like there's so much experience that's like constantly happening and people yeah. coming through, and yeah. just the need to connect things and also to have a shared sense of continuity with other people. I feel that really deeply, uh-huh. and so I was I was wondering if you have any anything. That's a big question. You're, wait, 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 you can't just leave. Um, that's a big and important question you're asking. There's a certain kind of continuity that one develops in the meditation practice itself that then becomes more the ground. One starts to have access to the ground of one's being so that even though things are coming and going, it's all, it feels like, oh, there's something here that's not moving at all, even though everything is moving. And so one's presence or one's composure or one's, I'm, I'm looking for the right word, um, one's hereness, and that's a capital H hereness, starts to be the ground out of which one is meeting everything that's coming and going. And so there's a whole nother level of depth 
that is possible right here. And it's not because we're not going to stop the coming and going of everything. It's all doing itself and it's all going to keep doing it. So where do you find your ground right here? And, and again, mindfulness of the body is one of the great places um, to begin to start. To just, even now while I'm talking, feel your body and feel your feet on the ground and feel your belly. The center here is, is one of the grounded centers. It's called the Hara in, in Buddhism. And uh, it's, it's a center in many traditions. And uh, it's used to bring a certain level or a certain degree of uh, embodiment, right? Which is why the embodiment is so helpful to be sensing, feeling, knowing our body immediately, even as we're listening, even as you're listening to me. It, it begins to give some continuity to experience that isn't based on continuity of things coming and going, because things are going to come and go. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, play with that. Okay, sure. Okay, so let's uh, sit for a moment before we end. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.